Welcome to Haunted by Proxy. I'm Landon. And I'm Joey. And this story is entitled Pole Position. The rain took a sudden volatile turn from a late autumn shower to a fully realized cage match of furious water droplets, forced into fighting to the death by the flustering wind. John Mulligan shook his head at the monochromatic sky as he retreated defeatedly from the single-pane plexiglass window at the front of the seasonal crepes restaurant he owned near the South Carolina shoreline. Mulligan's father, a locally famous toilet bowl and toilet bowl accessory salesman in the mid-1940s, offered the inspiration for the name of the Proud Sons Eatery. I craped my pants. While the establishment had no shortage of sweet or savory varieties, it was the signature Long John crepe platter that tourists on summer break made the pilgrimage to try their hand at. It was named as such as a wink and nod to the name of the restaurant, itself a crude but humorous take on the famous saying, I crapped my pants, but also slyly incorporating the name of the owner, John Mulligan, by placing the food stuff into a pair of long johns, a sort of tight-fitting thermal pant meant to hoist and shape the buttocks while firmly and warmly cradling the wearer's ball sack and penis. Also, a mulligan is what golfers call a do-over on tee-off, but that's unrelated. The dish consisted of a pair of long underwear stuffed with no less than 23 crepes, the right leg filled with ratatouille crepes, the left cinnamon mascarpone with the center bulge being a chef's choice for the feast's willing victim. Any person who was able to prove their fervorous affinity for the thin pancake by finishing all 23 in under an hour was awarded the pair of underwear, though few had held up their end of the bargain, and thus, only those few fortunate souls had left the small shop, one pair of long johns the richer. But not today. Christ, said John, this week was supposed to be our last hurrah before the end of the season. He looked over at Will, the newest seasonal hire, and motioned back out to the churning sky. This weather keeps up. I might have to let you go a little early this year. Just the way this business goes sometimes. While those weren't the words Will had wanted to hear after a long, humid summer of slinging crepes for antsy beachgoers, he wasn't surprised. The forecast had long called for this last week of summer to be a wash and tourists had decided to pack up and leave en masse. Just like that, it felt like Will Summer was coming to an unceremonious close. But what was he expecting after all? Wasn't it his plan to take a summer job on the other side of the country and save some money for college while taking in the sights of shore life? To get away from his family for a bit after the tragedy with his father in the ski pole, poorly bolted to the wall above their table at the Applebee's by his childhood home? When offered a full scholarship to Applebee's University, he wholeheartedly declined, saying he would rather pay his own way through school than to take a handout from the family that played a hand in his father's untimely demise. For the most part, he had his fun with the other employees after hours and on days off, laying on the beach or on a rooftop, sipping on Long Island iced teas and anal sex on the beaches that were covertly purchased for him from his newfound friends that were of age. At work, he would watch the bikini-clad girls come through the line and daydream of being arm-in-arm -arm with them, smelling their perfume 
taking his wallet out of his hidey hole and charging their large order of Planet of the Crepes, an order consisting of peanut butter filled crepes topped with banana infused glaze and cinnamon nibblers to his credit card. Afterwards, they would go down to the ocean and he could stand waist deep with them in the water, concealing his woody. Only that wasn't reality. He worked almost full time all summer and, with seasonal pay, had very little to show for it. And now, Mr. Mulligan was about to give him even less to show for it. John hated having to break the news to Will. He had had employees on his payroll for much longer, but Will was different. He knew what it was like to lose a father. Hell, his whole career had been one big tribute to the bastard. He laughed and shook his head just thinking of the old man. His father had been a son of a bitch, but he had loved him all the same. He had never spoken to anyone about it, but he hated what the toilet industry had done to his father. When his mother had received that phone call late one night 37 years ago, his world had changed forever. Honorably tasked with installing the main waste units in the Burj Khalifa, the tallest building in the world in Dubai. It had been daytime on the other side of the world when John's father accidentally pushed down on the flush lever as he stood in the last toilet bowl that the tower had needed. At 52 years old, he swiftly and violently flushed himself down the toilet instantly crushing and compressing his body to the size of the water pipes. An empty casket was buried at his memorial back in the Carolinas. John hated the people of Dubai and hated himself for it. He had dreams of hunting down every last goddamn Saudi prince that ever lived, and had even almost told the town newspaper that during a local spotlight section. But after what had happened with Liam Neeson after his ill-received Black Bastard interview, he felt it best not to bring up that he wants to murder Saudi princes. He didn't want Will to suffer the same fate, hating Applebee's until the day he died. He had planned to take him under his wing and maybe, just maybe, use his talent to expand I craped my pants in ways he was never able to. He felt a sudden pressure change in himself, a feeling of failure, but also one of impending doom. A voice echoed in his head suddenly, but whose voice was it? It seemed so familiar, yet covered by the sands of time. It couldn't have been his father. Uncle Rimrider, maybe, or Grandpa Skunker? Crack! He didn't have time to think about it any deeper, as a clash of thunder shook the building harder than anything in memory. He turned to look out the window to see a sky that had sprouted a shade of angry maroon. A sky doesn't normally look like that color, said Will, who had come out from behind the crepinator, John's signature crepe folding machine, to meet Mulligan at the window. Usually the sky is blue, or maybe even white. John smiled at the boy and rested a hand on his shoulder. That's right, he said. He knew Will was too smart to be a simple line cook, and he proved it with every sentence he spoke. Will? What say you go try to grab the last few umbrellas from the tables outside before it turns nasty? <laughs> but get your ass back in here at the first sign of thunder. I don't need you out there manhandling lightning rods in the thick of it. I'd rather add a few new sunshades to the supply list for next year over having to scrape your fried, smoking, crisp little corpse from the patio area. Will stopped on his way out the door, looking at John a bit taken aback. 
I just got finished hosing the last of the previous summer's new kid off the sidewalk out front, said John, staring at the boy now frozen in his tracks. He couldn't keep a straight face for too long, seeing how dire Will had taken the warning. He let out an involuntary snort of laughter, and Will caught on at last, shaking his head in disbelief. That dumb, stupid-ass idiot old shit-for-brains Mr. Mulligan was always making jokes. When would he learn that life wasn't a joke? It was the most serious thing about being alive. Will thought of stand-up comedians and dry heaved right on the spot. Anyway, Will continued, I'd help you out there if I could, but my doctor says I need to be careful on account of my stiff upper lip. He made a sudden stern face. Okay, now that's funny, Will said, laughing and changing his opinions on comedians. He turned and marched outside. The wind from the ocean nearly knocked him from his feet as he struggled to turn one of the crepe covers, Mulligan's trademark umbrella name, right side out, as it flapped upwards defeatedly. Despite the warnings from his boss, he wasn't necessarily scared of a little lightning show. Most of the beach town roofs were taller than the wholesale plastic umbrellas he was wrestling with, and if anything was going to catch nature's wrath that night, it was the Surf Street Church's copper steeple. <laughs> Ironic that a church would be the first to catch hell, said Will to himself, his voice absolutely impossible to hear in the rushing wind. But perhaps not quite so ironic in the least, he persisted. In fact, one could say that the Pope's refusal to offer swift repercussions and reparations for generations of concealed molestation and pedophilia in numbers untold by the priests that children are taught to trust above all others... His voice caught suddenly, unable to finish his stupid self-serving faux intellectual monologue. But why? At first, the sudden pain would suggest the crepe monger that he worked for had been right to caution lightning. But Will stayed conscious, with the sharp, directed pain in his back only growing worse. He reached behind himself to check for a wound, a welt, blood, anything, but it was in that fucking spot right between his shoulder blades. You know, the one you can only reach with a long-handed shower brush that more often than not just gets itchier than when you had started scrubbing it? Well, injury or no, he felt dizziness take hold of him, and a distant, inexplicable, generalized taste rose on his tongue. Nothing specific, just sort of like grilled chicken wonton tacos. Is this what edibles feels like? He thought as he slumped over onto his chin and rapid blood loss, it, it start to begin. A grasp, dragging, warmth. Will's eyes adjusted to the scene in front of him. Heat lines rising from the crepinator and a concerned Mr. Mulligan watching over him. He could tell from the look on the toilet air's face that while he was warming up inside, it didn't mean he was safer now than he had been out on the battered promenade. If lemonade is made from lemons, is promenade made from promegranates? He wondered fuzzily. He was losing a lot of blood and it was making him stupid. He tried to move. Don't try to move, said John, literally half a second too late. Ah, fuck! The pain in his back was excruciating. 
slumped over on his right side like a colonoscopy patient whose insurance wouldn't foot the bill for full anesthesia, he could see his reflection in one of the storefront windows. Some sort of long pole stood erect behind him, and with each labored breath it shook slightly and caused more pain. Whatever it was, it was as hard as a diamond in an ice storm and had turned him into a dying man in a thunderstorm by piercing him in the back. John studied Will hesitantly. When Will tried to make eye contact, he would look away quickly and return to surveying the situation at hand. He looked at the pole, examining how deep the puncture might be. This bastard beam, he muttered. The bastard beam in my back? Will asked weakly. Right on the button, John affirmed. The bastard beam in your back barraged you from behind. Your blades are basically bordering the bandit. Will was beside himself. This bastard beam in my back could bring about my bereavement. Should I... Should I breathe a benediction? Blacklist that belief, John blasted belligerently. The beam in your back, I believe, has no barbs. Blessed be, belted the battered boy. With that, John stood up and placed one foot on Will's back, grabbed the pole, and readied a mighty tug. Just then, the door to the bathroom rattled open. What are you guys doing? It was Marissa, one of the town locals that had worked for Mr. Mulligan for the past five summers. A beach rat, born and raised on the sun and sand, Marissa had never known a life outside of Myrtle Beach and felt no yearning for anything else. Her meaning was found in her simple summer jobs, meeting the seasonal travelers and employees that would come and go, or remain friends with the ones that fell in love with the beach town and put down their own roots there. She taught beginner surfing classes and frequented local dining establishments, traveling the world through acquaintances and trysts in her salty-aired home at the edge of the world. It just so happened that a trip to a local taqueria the day before landed her with a bad batch of fish tacos and an uncontrollable bout of the Hershey squirts. She had given it her all during her shift that afternoon, but it had finally been too much to handle. The name of the place is I craped my pants, but we don't need our employees taking it literally, laughed John as he let her clock out early to get better. Unfortunately, after waddling to the bathroom, she was more or less stuck there for the remainder of the day, hearing the storm approach and the store grow quiet all from the 4x4 stall she had set up shop in. Until just now, when the onslaught of rumblings within her had seized, and she opened the door to find her co-worker in a fetal position on the ground, and her lovely boss with his hands around the shaft in the boy's back. She had to think for a moment to identify what the object was, for this was South Carolina after all. It wasn't every day that one would come across a ski pole. Grab a towel or something, I need you to stop the bleeding when I pull this out, John instructed firmly. Marissa had seen some gnarly accidents from surfers on the shoreline rocks, and thus knew there was no time to feel queasy or confused, just time to act. Placing pressure on Will's back with a damp rag that had been used earlier to wipe down the burners with degreaser, Marissa wondered if she shouldn't have skipped all those years of safety meetings while John freed the pole from Will's back with a swift yank. Will shuddered a sigh of agonized relief, knowing he wasn't out of the woods just yet. Marissa and John helped to prop him up against the counter in order to better make sure he stayed awake. 
As they sat him upright, he saw the object come into focus that had been freed from his flesh. The steel beam that had confused Marissa so much, like she had never seen one in her life, or even just on TV for that matter. He saw the ski pole. Though he hadn't been struck by lightning earlier, he felt in this moment that he had. Christ, he gasped. This wasn't some valuable rusted antique owned by a widowed heiress who would have cast it into the sea from her ocean view balcony to dishonor her deceased husband upon discovering the secret handwritten erotic notes that he had written to their erstwhile au pair in which he yearned to caress her milky white breasts and referred to his own admittedly unimpressive member as the wild boar's snout? No. This ski pole did not then spend months adrift at sea after this incident only to wash up along the Carolinian coast and blow into young William's backside. This pole was in pristine condition, and the Tomic branding and blue handles were seared into his brain. For this was the ruinous aluminum shaft that had pierced his innocent father's precental gyrus that fateful late afternoon during happy hour at the Pocatello, Idaho's Applebee's. The memory he had fought all summer to keep hidden away flooded his mind like Black Friday doorbuster veterans falling over themselves to get to the rock bottom price Marx Brothers DVD collection they would never watch. In his mind, it happened all over again. His dad telling him how proud he was of him for passing home ec and phys ed. His mom saying how much she loved the both of them and ordering a fishbowl marg with Epsom salt on the rim. And then his dad setting the salt shaker down too hard, shaking the table, which hit the wall, which knocked the ski pole loose. It fell, piercing his father's head and shooting a geyser of blood into the air. He yelped in pain, grasping for his family, then slumped forward. He had died a virgin. But then Will recalled what happened last. His father's lifeless body had crumpled forward into his piping hot order of regular everyday adult food. Grilled chicken wonton tacos with south of the border Asian chili sauce. It was exactly what he had smelled when he was struck by the pole. Are you feeling any better or worse? Marissa asked, crouched down next to him. Don't go dozing off on me now, Booger. Booger was her nickname for Will because of something unspeakable that had happened with a customer's crepe the first time he tried to make one by himself. I, I think I'll be okay, he smiled softly and a lot of blood ran out of his mouth. But I don't understand. I, I, I must be hallucinating or, or something. I think the thing that hit me killed my father, but that's impossible. It's ludicrous. Move, bitch, get out the way, retorted Marissa. What? Will asked blankly. That's what I would have said to you if I'd seen that pole flying your way, bro. I <laughs> look out for my friends. Will choked back tears. Oh, okay. Well, that's actually the, the nicest thing anyone has ever said to me. But I should talk to... He looked around and noticed Mr. Mulligan crouched down in front of the Crepinator. The front panel was off, and he seemed to be staring at the bright, hot heating coils within. Will noticed then that all of the electricity in the building had gone out sometime during the storm. All except for the Crepinator, that is. What's he doing? He asked Marissa. 
I don't know. It seems like once a year before we close for the seat, she stopped abruptly, a deep rumbling rising from her bowels. Got a jet, she said quickly, hustling back to the bathroom. Maybe if she were more like DJ Khaled and refused to eat fish tacos, she wouldn't be in this mess, Will thought to himself. He looked back to Mr. Mulligan and heaved himself off the ground, sweating profusely. Weakly limping closer to his boss, he could hear now that, kneeled before the interiors of the large machine, he seemed to be speaking into it in hushed tones. It wasn't supposed to happen this time. I thought you were satisfied. Please, please give him another chance, Will could hear him whispering. He had never heard Mr. Mulligan so panicked. It sent a coldness through him. He wanted to comfort the stupid old man that he pitied with his entire being. Sir, he muttered, inching closer. John shot up and turned around, blocking the opening to the crepinator. Will! Jesus, I, uh, you, oh God, <laughs> you scared me. You shouldn't be up. Will knew he was right. The pain was rising again. Ma, ma, Marissa's mud butt returned. I thought I would come over here. John eyed the bathroom, knowing that the chocolate river she was creating would rival Willy Wonka's. I heard you talking. Is everything okay? Will asked. John hesitated, thinking of a hundred ways with which he could divert the situation at hand, but alas, he knew this would only be prolonging the inevitable. I'm so sorry, Will. It wasn't supposed to happen this way. Will furrowed his unibrow, which made it look like a caterpillar that had been squished by a bicycle. John slowly stepped aside and Will finally saw inside the great crepe maker, though it defied all logic. The glowing, which he had naturally assumed was coming from its heating elements, was actually being emitted by the translucent figure of a man's head. William, meet my father. Big John Mulligan. Will was speechless. What he saw before him was impossible. John stepped towards him and spoke softly. Please let me explain. The storm is almost past. Will grabbed at the wall and sunk to the floor in pain and confusion. John continued. When my father died, I was only a boy, but his toilet work had left my mother and I a vast fortune. I used his money to go to Dubai and do whatever I could to have him back. His body had been squeezed down the pipe like a Play-Doh shape maker, but his head had popped off in the turlet. The search for a way to save my father led me to dark places, and eventually to a Saudi prince that had spent his life studying black magic. It changed my view of reality and it cost us everything, but in the end, my mother got her husband back, and I, my father. But as you can see, it wasn't perfect. It requires immense power, which is why this shop was built as a shrine to him. He walked towards the machine. You see, crepes require a massive amount of steady energy to cook perfectly. And I invented the Crepinator as the world's only true perpetual motion machine. It can defy the laws of physics because my father's being is no longer of this realm. The cooking of tasty grapes powers my father, 
and he in turn powers the stovetop so that customers can enjoy their fluffer nutter hotcakes, lemon poppy seed blintzes, and our popular Zinfandel-infused treat called Crepes on the Vine, he said. Are, are you trying to sell me on your product? What are you doing? asked Will. He stops for more time, but there is none, rattled the voice of Big John from the innard of the stovetop. Mr. Mulligan fell to his knees defeatedly. Okay, okay! Will, the thing is, the black magic also requires a sacrifice. Kids like you come in for a year and no one around here knows them. People go missing on vacation in the ocean all the time. Every year, oh God, every year, I must feed one soul to my father's gaping maw. The Saudi prince told me last year had been enough, but he changed his mind. That's why he sent the ski pole that killed your father to end you too. He likes to be dramatic, but you were too strong. Now I have to finish the job. Will, you have to believe me. You were supposed to be the one to take over the business. I wanted this to all be yours. The heir to the crepe fortune. So I could live out the rest of my days with my ailing mother and my dad's amazing head. Will gulped. He didn't think now was the time to tell John that he hadn't wanted that for his life in the slightest. This was just a summer fling. John moved towards Will, who had no more energy left. Please, no, he struggled to say as he started to slip into unconsciousness again, blood pooling around him. A grasp, dragging, warmth. The last thing he saw was a blinding, all-consuming light. Just like the innocent children of years past, the only thing left after his consumption by Big John's head was his pair of long underwear. When Marissa finally emerged from the bathroom once more, three pounds lighter, the storm had passed and Mr. Mulligan was closing the door to the Crepinator's inner workings. Where's Will? Is everything all right? She asked him, noticing the trail of blood and missing body. Oh, he's just fine, actually. The pole barely grazed him. He said he would walk himself to the doctor, but unfortunately, if unsurprisingly, he told me this would be his last day. But he did leave me these for the next Long John Crate Platter contestant. He held up Will's underwear. Marissa shook her head in disbelief. It's so strange how the new kids always do that on their last day. John forced a short laugh and tossed the pants into a huge pile of them behind the counter. Hopefully, this is the last time it happens. I'm getting too old for this crepe. Marissa snorted at that and changed her sour opinion on stand-up comedians. See you tomorrow, Mr. M. She headed north on the rain-soaked boardwalk, and John Mulligan thought of Will and began to cry. The End